see you. Good morning. My name is Andrew Evans. I am on the pastoral team here. And let me encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. It's page 699 in the Gray Pew Bibles. Maybe you've read this story before and wondered what in the world was going on. It's a weird passage, isn't it? Um, it's also World Mission Sunday. And it's the Sunday, it's the day of the year when Anglican churches across the whole nation are celebrating and marking efforts to spread the gospel around the world to all nations. This passage has a lot for us today, so before we get started, let me pray for us. Father, you are a good and gracious God. And we praise you for your message of hope and of life that's for all people. Speak to us this morning, I pray, and strengthen us to go on mission for you. In Christ's name, amen. So let's be honest, Jesus here in this passage doesn't look very good, does he? We're used to Jesus the healer, we're used to Jesus the sage, Jesus the miracle worker, but not Jesus the snark. Jesus might be tart to the Pharisees, but nobody likes the Pharisees anyway, do they? But what do we do with this passage? What do we do with this? Jesus here seems aloof, dismissive, insulting. We don't associate that with our Savior, do we? And what's worse, we're looking at this passage on World Mission Sunday, and Jesus looks like a bad missionary, doesn't he? <laughs> a woman comes to him asking for help. And this, if anything, is a wide-open door to fix her problem and share the good news with her, isn't it? If this happens to you, I bet you would know what to do, wouldn't you? And Jesus doesn't do that. It seems like he has to have his arm twisted just to talk to her. What's going on? What can we possibly learn from this passage? about missions. There's no doubt that this is a hard passage. But Jesus here actually is teaching us an awful lot about missions and what it means to be on mission for Jesus. Despite all the initial appearances, Jesus is actually showing us here in a really powerful way that he welcomes all who submit to his kingship. So we should bring everyone to meet him. Jesus welcomes all who will submit to his kingship. And so we should bring everyone to meet him. This story, it's an integrated whole. Divisions are maybe arbitrary in a sense, but for the sake of a sermon, we're going to look at it in three movements. We'll look first at the woman's presumptuous request. Then we'll look at Jesus's probing response, and then we'll finally look at the woman's powerful faith. So let's start with the presumptuous request. When we read this story, right on the surface, 
we can feel the tension in a camp aid. There's this woman, she comes to Jesus asking for help repeatedly. He repeatedly rebuffs her. And yet this story has another layer of tension bubbling just below the surface. Jesus here is going to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And it looks like he's going on some sort of retreat, but this is a bizarre choice for a retreat for Israelites, for Jewish, devout Jewish men. Because Jesus and his disciples would be surrounded by all sorts of things that they would find really offensive. It's almost like a diehard Hillary Clinton supporter going on vacation to Mar-a-Lago. Or maybe a red MAGA hat wearing guy going, you know, to take some time off at the Obama presidential library. Like that's, that's sort of the idea here. Because this area, Tyre and Sidon, were historically a hotbed for paganism that opposed and corrupted Israel for centuries. For example, Sidon is where the pagan queen Jezebel was from. She was the daughter of the king there. She was a pagan sorceress. She married into the Israel royal family, Israelite royal family. And then she brought her paganism into the Holy Land of Israel and led Israel astray. So this is where, this is where Jesus is going for his retreat to the place with a history of antagonism and corrupting paganism. And verse 22 actually ramps up this tension because from the home of the pagan Canaanite queen Jezebel walks out none other than a Canaanite woman. This is an intentional use choice, an intentional description on Matthew's part, because there weren't really Canaanites anymore. It'd be kind of like meeting an Italian woman and saying, aha, here comes that Roman. <laughs> there are no Romans anymore. News, newsflash. There weren't Canaanites either. It's an anachronism. But he's using this word because he wants us to see the conflict that's underlying this scene. This woman here is a Canaanite. She's a member of the one of the greatest enemies of God's people. The Canaanites were so evil for so long that God sent Israel into the land of, land of Canaan to drive them out and destroy them. Israel didn't do that. And so Canaan, the, the Canaanites kept seducing and corrupting Israel for centuries. Jezebel is just the most prominent example. But Jezebel and her Canaanite paganism were so evil that God actually cursed her to be eaten by dogs. So by calling this woman a Canaanite, Matthew here is indicating just how much baggage she's carrying. She's the furthest thing from being a friendly face. She's a Canaanite. But notice what she says to Jesus here. She calls him Lord, and then she calls him Son of David. We should sort of be raising our eyebrows at this. Why would a, a Canaanite woman be calling on the Son of David? Da Son of David is a, it's a messianic title for the people of Israel, but it's also a royal title. 
David was the greatest king of Israel. He defeated Canaanites. So why would a Canaanite woman be interested in the son of David? This is the question that this passage wants us to be asking. She shouldn't be interested in the son of David. If anything, she should be afraid of the son of David. And yet she comes to Jesus, calling him by this royal messianic title, and asks him to heal her daughter. Do you feel the presumption here? Do you feel just how inappropriate this address is and this question is? It almost feels like this woman is trying to sort of butter up Jesus, get him to do what she wants. But Jesus isn't her king. He owes her nothing. If anything, the son of David should conquer these Canaanite lands, not heal their people. This is the backstory that Matthew wants us to see. Why is this pagan foreigner asking for help? And so this backstory and this tension actually explains why Jesus responds in this seemingly bizarre way that he does. It seems so baffling, doesn't it? It's so strange. But if he is who she says he is, if he's truly the son of David, it makes complete sense that he wouldn't answer her. He's come to save Israel from their enemies. Not save their enemies. And so, he doesn't answer her, at least not initially. And this silence here is emphasizing the gap and the distance between Jesus and this woman. He's a royal king. She's a pagan supplicant. Silence, it's appropriate. She can't expect anything more. Now let me pause here and note something about missions. We should never forget that when we are introducing people to Jesus, which is something that we're all called to do, we're introducing them to the divine king, to the son of David. We are engaged in reverent, even dangerous work. If you were friends with Joe Biden right now, you would not just go introducing him in any way that you wanted. There's a reverence and a respect and an appropriateness to his office. How much more then do we need to be reverent in how we introduce people to Jesus? Jesus is gracious and kind. He wants us to bring people to him. But he's also the king of the universe. And missions work has to be done with a reverence and an awe that acknowledges that reality. We can't just tell people anything we want about Jesus. We have to bring people to him on his terms and not ours. So Jesus here, he's refusing to answer the woman, and yet the woman persists in calling out to him. So, as maybe you might be expected, Jesus' disciples start to get annoyed. They want him just to heal her and send her off. She's killing the retreat vibe, you could say. And yet Jesus responds to them by emphasizing explicitly, verbally, the gap, the difference, the separation between him and her. He was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
He says this in verse 24. This woman is not a member of this house. It would be inappropriate for him to heal someone like her. And so we might be tempted when we hear this to try to soft pedal a little bit what Jesus is saying here. We might think that Jesus means something like, I came first for the Jews and next for the Gentiles. Maybe there are other passages that say that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? He says, I've come only for Israel. I've come only to save them. In fact, Jesus actually said something similar back in chapter 12 when he sent out his disciples and said, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His mission is to Israel only. Now, it's maybe a little bit confusing, especially on a mission Sunday, isn't it? How are we to do missions if he only came for Israel? Where does that leave everybody else? Keep that question in mind. We'll come back to that. So then Jesus is emphasizing the difference between him and the woman. He actually repeats this difference, this idea, again in verse 26. Although this time he's speaking directly to the woman herself. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <clears throat> this is the most shocking thing that Jesus says here. It's possibly one of the most shocking things that Jesus says in all of the New Testament, in all of the Bible. He's being intentionally provocative. There's no way around that. He certainly is. But he's also making a point. He's emphasizing how much of a pagan she is. Dogs epitomized unholiness. Back in chapter 7, Jesus said, Do not give the dogs what is holy. And remember that Jezebel was so evil that she was eaten by dogs. This is what dogs represent here. Pagan idolatry. Worth only to be cast away from God and his presence. And Jesus is saying here, I will not give to pagans what is holy. I will not let paganism enter into my kingdom. Now maybe you're really uncomfortable with all of this. Maybe you're kind of squirming. But do you, do you see just on the level of idea what Jesus is doing here? What his point is? Jesus is excluding pagans from his kingdom. But, notice a little glimmer of grace here. Jesus is speaking to the woman. He doesn't even know her that. He doesn't even have to do that, but even here he's actually explaining himself. He's giving a reason. He doesn't have to do that. That in itself is a point of mercy. But by speaking to her, by actually interacting with her, by drawing her in, he's actually probing her faith. What does she mean by calling him son of David? Is she simply trying to butter him up and extract something from him? Is Jesus a, a miracle bending machine? Or is there something deeper? going on. You see, Jesus isn't content to be used like the snack dispenser in the break room of your office. You can't just 
slide in the right words and expect a blessing to drop out like a Snickers bar. Jesus is king. He demands your allegiance. You can't come to him and ask him for some blessing and expect to be able to keep your old life. You have to make him your king. You have to leave your old kingdom and submit to his rule. You have to choose whether you're going to follow Jesus or stay in your old kingdom. And this is the choice that Jesus is pushing the woman to see. And it's the choice that's at the heart of all missionary efforts. People all over the world desperately need Jesus. But their most fundamental need is not for him to fix their, their little problems and they can then be on their way. Their most fundamental need is that they are in a pagan kingdom and they need to come to Jesus and have him rule in their lives. This is what they need. This is their most fundamental need. And to enter, everyone has to choose. Are you going to remain in your own kingdom or are you going to make Jesus king? Are we going to submit to the son of David? This choice is what Jesus is pushing the woman to make. And with each stage of this conversation, Jesus is emphasizing just how separate, just how other, just how distinct she is. And by pushing her on exactly that point, he's asking her, how separate do you want to be? Do you only want what I can give you? Or do you want to come into my kingdom? When he calls her a dog, he's not only highlighting the pagan history of that area, but he's asking her, do you want to be an outsider? Or do you want to come inside? Do you want to join the family? Or do you just want to graze on the scraps? Do you just want me to heal your daughter? Or do you want to make me your king? And it's this question, this probing question into her faith that this woman answers with the most amazing display of her powerful faith. This woman takes this demeaning image that Jesus uses and she turns it around on Jesus. Look at verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. She's actually agreeing with Jesus. But then look what she says next. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's taking what Jesus said and using it to shout how even a dog can be a member of the family. Because even a dog can have the same master. She wants in. She doesn't care what her status is. She's embodying this beautiful line from the Psalms. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Jesus is probing her faith and she's demonstrating here that she wants to be a member of the household of Jesus. She wants Jesus to be her Lord and her King. She wants to live under his rule. And she wants this Jewish Messiah 
Because there's nowhere else for her to go, is there? Nowhere else has the life she wants. Nowhere else has the healing that she needs. No other king is as powerful and as good as Jesus. She needs Jesus. Her daughter needs Jesus. Jesus is her only hope. The pagan kingdoms may have their comforts, but nothing compares to living under Jesus. This is the great faith that this woman has. And it's the faith that Jesus responds to. He's tested her faith. She's shown that she doesn't just want to use him as a snack machine. And he heals her daughter. She's entered the kingdom. And if this woman can enter, despite being a pagan Canaanite, hostile to everything that Israel is about, anyone can come into the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is open to anyone. And this is the best news because everybody in the whole world needs Jesus. Everybody. Everybody has problems that only Jesus can solve. And everyone can follow him. All you need, all you need is faith that submits to him. This good news, this message is what missions should be all about. Everybody needs Jesus and everybody can come to him. But we have to come on his terms. Don't treat him like a snack machine. You can't have just a little bit of Jesus in one part of your life. Your whole life has to be submitted to his rule because he's king and he demands your allegiance. It's here, precisely here, that we see what Jesus means when he says that he came to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you remember that little phrase? To be saved, you have to enter the house of Israel. But this doesn't mean becoming Jewish any more than it means becoming American. You become a member of the house of Israel by submitting to King Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you belong to Christ's people. That's true for this Canaanite woman. It's true for anyone who comes to Christ in faith, no matter what their cultural background is. Coming to Christ makes you a part of God's people. It makes you part of the true Israel. All you need, all you need to get in is faith. Now, one last objection. Maybe this woman has entered Christ's kingdom, but hasn't she done so on really demeaning terms? Is she just a dog in the kingdom of God? And maybe you're wondering, what does this mean for me? Maybe you're thinking, I carry just as much baggage as this woman, maybe more. Do I only get to be a dog in the kingdom of God? Is that all I am to God? You're right in that this woman does accept, seemingly accept her status as a dog in the kingdom of God. But notice in this last verse, in verse 28, that Jesus doesn't accept that. 
Jesus actually praises her faith using words that he doesn't use anywhere else. In fact, in the very next chapter, he tells his disciples, oh, you of little faith. So she's being held up as an exemplar. What does it mean to have faith in contrast to the disciples who are walking with Jesus every day? We have a little hint here that she's not being relegated to being a second-class citizen. But the definitive answer comes in the Gospel of John, actually. So listen to what John says at the very beginning of his Gospel. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, just like this Canaanite woman, he gave the right to become children of God. This woman might be willing to accept the status of a dog, but Jesus doesn't leave her there in that status. He lifts her up, and he makes her a child. No matter her past, no matter her background, no matter her baggage, he welcomes her into his family, into his household, to his table, where she can eat with his family. He accepts her request to make her, make him her king. And then he makes her a daughter and an heir of the kingdom. Friends, this is true of you if you are looking to Christ in faith. It's true for everyone who comes to Christ. Jesus welcomes all who submit to his reign. His reign is good. It's gracious. Nowhere else can we find what he's offering. And just like this woman needed Jesus, just like you and just like I desperately need Jesus, the whole world needs Jesus. This is why we do missions. So let's go tell the world about Jesus. Amen.